Awesome. Good evening. Please turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We'll be looking at one verse tonight. And for the next three weeks, we'll be looking at this one verse. And you might be thinking to yourself, how can you preach one sermon on just one verse? And I want to tell you, I've been reading this book called Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ by John Bunyan. And he actually gives 230 pages on this one verse. So John 6, verse 37 is where we'll be. There's a great question that has often come about over the course of church history. What comes first, faith or new birth? Many contend that faith is what precedes new, new birth, but the Bible actually teaches the opposite. One of the main things that confuses people is a lack of understanding in regards to the effectual call of God and the external call of the gospel. So I've been reflecting on this verse, uh, and the youth have heard it taught for a couple of weeks now, but I want to teach it to the church as a whole. And so over the next few Sunday nights, we're going to look at the order of salvation from Christ's words in verse 37. This verse has been such a blessing to me, and I would encourage you to put it to memory. It's been such a blessing to me just to have it on the front of my mind. And I would encourage you also to put it on the front of your mind. I would also encourage you over the next two weeks to invite unbelievers. What a, what a great opportunity to have a revival of some sort. Um, I'll be preaching the gospel a lot over the next two weeks. And the gospel hopefully will be made very clear to all of us. But let's start in verse 35. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and who, whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let's pray one more time. Father in heaven, you are so good and kind and gracious. You have given us a church to bear burdens. You have given us a body to lift one another up. And you have given us your word to feast upon. So, Father, I pray even now that you will allow us to dig deep into this verse. Allow us to know it. Allow, it to, allow us to feast upon it. Allow us to put it to memory. Allow it to, allow it to shepherd us in hard seasons. Father, I pray even now that you would call even some to salvation for the first time. Father, would it be such a gift to our church if you called many out of sin and into belief here at Morningview? Father, help us to do this. Help us to proclaim your gospel and to trust in your good work, your good hand to accomplish salvation. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. In John 6 already, Jesus has fed 5,000 people. He has already walked on water, and he has demonstrated his divine nature. And starting in verse 25, he begins a discourse really about himself. He says that he is the bread of heaven and that in him there is all spiritual nourishment that you could ever imagine. Look at verse 35. I am the bread of life, he says. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Though you may feel spiritually dry, though you may feel like the well is empty and your own nothing, your own zero, it will never be the case for one who is truly in Christ because Christ, Christ is always with you. But tonight, we're going to deal really with the doctrine of effectual call and the doctrine of faith by looking at the first few words of verse 37. So we're only going to, we're going to stop at a certain point. So I'll tell you where we're going to stop. It says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's where we're going to stop tonight. As we begin, let me give you a definition of effectual calling, um, and then we'll get into Christ's words. Effectual calling happens when God the Father summons the elect into fellowship with Christ. By the work of the Holy Spirit and through the human proclamation of the gospel, in which sinners only response is saving faith in Christ. So let's now think about the words we have in front of us from John 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Christ did not die in vain. The Father gave his Son the elect. The Father knew his chosen children would be a gift to his beloved Son. So Jesus did not travail the grounds of this world, right? He did not... uh, He he was not just mocked and scorned. He was not just beaten and left on a tree just to accomplish nothing. He did not just simply die and not have a prize for his journey. He came to purchase for himself a bride. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher evangelist, knew this better than most. In his early youth, he wrote his father many letters. In one of his letters, he said this, How long... How I long for thousands to be saved, but that some, but my great comfort is not that thousands will be saved, but that some will be saved. They must be saved. They shall be saved. We as believers long for people to be saved, but God in his sovereignty actually accomplishes salvation. So as we look at these words, these first few words, I want to share with you some certainties. So I have four certainties that come from these first few words of John 6, verse 37. And I just just want to tell you that these, these certainties have been so refreshing to me. I pray that they'll be refreshing to you. The first certainty is that all, if you just see that word all, all, not most, all of the elect will be secure in Christ. Once the Father sets his affection upon the orphaned rebel, that sinner's salvation is certain. It can't be lifted. It can't be destroyed. God does not commit accidents. You're not an accident if you're here in this church and you are believing upon Christ. 
That's not an accident. He sets his affection upon the sinner, and the sinner will be saved. In all reality, there is no other judge who can condemn a child of God. There is no other enemy that can separate you from the love of God. Beloved, once this call is placed upon your life and the God of this universe has summoned you to come before the king of this universe, there is no longer any corruption, any corruption left in your life that can drive you out of favor in the Lord's eyes. All of God's children will come to the Son, and the Son will never cast them out. That's what the Bible says. He will never cast you out. Our confession, 1689, states the Father's call upon the elect is out of their natural state of sin and death to something, to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. You may right now, you may right now be setting your affections upon this world. You may wholeheartedly be against coming to Christ. You may love the dark, but if God God wants you, if God has set his grace upon you, then you will come. You must come. You have no choice but to come. This is great news. This is great news. Why? Because if you know your own selves and you know your sin and you know your depravity, which declares that you're dead in your trespasses, which declares that you're a dead man walking, which declares that you're under the curse of sin, and incapable of loving God and meriting salvation for yourselves, that means that God has lifted that curse. He's given you breath. He's put flesh on your body to believe. One author said of our relationship to God before faith, before God calling us into faith, he says that we are aliens, foreigners at birth, and sinners by choice. There's a famous saying by Jonathan Edwards that I think is appropriate for this setting. He says, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary for Christ to die. That's it. It's the only thing you contribute to your salvation. Yet all, not most, all the elect, all the children of God with all of their former sin will come to Christ. They must come to him. They come to him for justification. They come to him through the perils of this life, through the sufferings of this life. They come to him through sanctification. And they will ultimately, they have to come to him in glory. They will come to him in glory. That's the first certainty. Is that we are secure because, because of the work of Christ and because of the Father. The second certainty from these words is this, is that we are in the hands of a good father. We are in the hands of a good father. If God is the first person of the Trinity, is the father, then he is the best of fathers. He's the best of fathers. His authority extends over all creation and his love is most shown intimately when he calls people out of death into life. And what better father is there? What better father is there to have than one who is greater than all other fathers? What 
better father is there than one who is greater than all other friends and pastors and governments and all other authorities? All of those people, all of those things you can think about being authorities in your life, they slumber, they sleep, they are flawed, they are lazy. Our father is always at work accomplishing his will. Our father is greater than all the enemies of the church. And he is able, he is perfectly able to protect us from all the enemies of the church. He is greater than all the combined forces of hell and earth. The father has more wisdom than the serpent in the garden. He he is greater, he's more powerful than the red dragon in Revelation. Our, our wise and powerful father does his greatest work, though. His greatest work in redemption, in salvation. Dane Ortland, he writes a book called Gentle and Lowly, and I would recommend it to everybody in this church. Uh, it will be sweet to your souls. He says, our redemption is not a matter of Jesus trying to calm down an uncontrollable anger of the father. Rather, rather, he is doing the will of the Father. The Father is not spewing about in heaven, wondering what am I going to do with mankind? No, the Father is governing and allowing sin to take place in order that he would be glorified through the work of his Son. He takes the initiative. The Father ordains our deliverance through the death of his own son. God could have just left us in sin and destruction. When Noah came on, he could have destroyed Noah as well with the flood, but he doesn't. He provides a way of escape through his own son. Look at John 6, 38. Just look down at the verse we have before us. Right after verse 37, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What brings the son pleasure is doing the will of his father. And likewise, if you want to think about this a little bit longer, what brings the father pleasure is giving his son a reward for his sacrifice. That reward is not gold, it's not crowns, it's not more wisdom or health. Jesus has all those things. The son's reward from the father is the elect. It's you. It's you if you are believing. You are the reward in which Christ comes to die for. Our good father's will is that none of the elect should perish, but all would be spared. All will be made right. All will be given to the son. Let me close our thoughts on the father by allowing you to hear. These are some of the sweetest verses to me. And all of the word from 1 Peter 1, 3 says this. Peter says this about our father. He says, blessed, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. You did not cause yourself to be born again. He has caused you to be born again. The Father has caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our good, gracious, loving Father causes us to be born again by the work 
of his son. And he gives us to that son who accomplished our salvation. Third certainty. Third certainty. Which I think this is, might be the sweetest. If you know where all of the Bible is pointing to, it's pointing to Christ, right? This is the third certainty. We find in these words is that the Father gives us to the one who can certainly secure our salvation. The Father knows that there's no better place for us to be than in the arms of Christ. Our effectual calling, or some would put it, our drawing is always directed towards someone, towards a person. And that person is the Son of God. Our friends, our family, our bank accounts, our good works, don't provide us with any type of eternal, long-lasting security. Only the Son does. This past week, I was able to visit my uncle, who is riddled with cancer. He's riddled with cancer and could pass away any day now. He wanted to have me over and to talk to him about the gospel. And he began telling me how he desires to be in heaven. That's where he wants to be. I want to be in heaven. And he kept going. He says, with tears, he's, he's crying. He's just saying to me, I want to go where my mom is. I want to go where my late wife is. And thinking to myself, thinking to myself, because I've known this man my whole life, thinking to myself, that's sweet. That is so sweet. That's, that's, that's precious in many ways. But I heard absolutely nothing about going to where Christ is. Going to where Jesus is. He wanted the benefits of Christ without knowing Christ. It doesn't work like that. Our salvation does not work like that. Beloved, the Father gives us to the Son. All other people are going to waste away. But the person of Christ knows us, shepherds us, and loves us to the end. He knows the hidden sin. He knows your jealous thoughts. He knows when you have a temptation towards the adulterous woman. He knows your evil words. He knows your covetous actions. And yet, yet, he will never desert his bride. He'll never leave his bride behind because it would go against his nature. He cannot help but to be compassionate toward those whom the Father has given him toward those whom the Father has called out of sin. He cannot help but be patient with you as you are struggling with sin, as you are fighting sin. He's caring for sheep. Let me direct you, if you'll flip over with me, to John 10, just a few chapters over. I'd like for you to see this, because this is, this is the theology of John, that Jesus, whom we're given to, is never going to leave us, never going to forsake us. He's always going to be with us. Verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I, Jesus, know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one, nothing, will snatch them from my hand, out of my hand. 
The Father has handed us over to a good shepherd who speaks to us. You see that? My sheep hear my voice. He speaks to us and he knows us. Elsewhere in John, he says he knows us as well as he knows the Father. That's amazing. He speaks to us, he knows us, and he protects us from danger. He knows how to protect us from the enemy. Christ knows what the sheep need and provides them with green pastures to walk in. The Father has given him authority to free us from the bondage of sin and give us eternal life. There's no better place for you to be. There's no better place for you to be handed over to than his very own son. Friends who are in Christ, are you not rejoicing right now? I'm I'm rejoicing. I'm sitting here. There's, There's nothing better. There's nothing better than being with Christ. There's no better place for us to be. Don't you want to go back to him? Don't you want to continue coming to this Savior? The last certainty I want to give you this evening is that all those who are given to Christ will come to him. So what does it mean to come to Christ? We're going to spend next week mainly on faith, but I want to give you a few things to get the gears turning for next week. And hopefully you'll invite people back. I think this could be an awesome setting for a gospel witness. This is going to be an evangelistic sermon next week. This coming to Christ, those who will come to Christ, is simply belief. It's faith. It's trust. We are not dragged in, kicking and screaming to Christ. Right? We're not dragged in. We're not pulling up a surrender flag saying, oh man, he's done beat me, I surrender. No. The Father reaches down, changes our desires, opens our blind eyes, and causes our dead hearts to come alive. That's what's happening when you believe the first time and every other time since the first time. Augustine said it best. God chooses us Not because we believed in him, but that we may believe in him. And that we will believe in him. And when this happens upon the sinner, when this happens upon your soul, then the sinner comes running to Christ. Christ radiates beauty and glory. We want nothing else but to be near this Savior. We leave all else behind. We leave everybody else behind and we run to Christ. I was thinking about it this week. It's, it's like when the Bible tells us to leave your father and mother and cling to your wife. That doesn't mean we're not still to honor our mother and father. That doesn't mean we don't still have a relationship with our mother and father. But now the greatest earthly relationship, the greatest earthly relationship is now to your bride. It's now to your husband. Likewise, to come to Christ doesn't mean you don't still have earthly relationships like brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. No, what it means is that you have found your treasure. You know what your treasure is. You have found the pearl of great price. You realize that all other confidences, all other relationships you had can be left behind For the sake of knowing Jesus.
And who is more worthy to come to than Christ? Who is more worthy to come to than Christ? He bled on a tree. The God of this universe came to die on a tree. Who is more worthy to come to than Christ? Who bore my sins on Calvary? Who is greater to come to the Christ who is right now? He hasn't stopped working. Who is right now working on your behalf in heaven pleading for you? Let me ask you a few questions about your faith. When you wake, I'm not saying this happens to me every day or every, every other day or every week. But when you wake in the morning, do you pray, oh, Father, give me more Jesus? When you're alone and no one else is around, is your heart warmed? Is your heart warmed? Is it comforted by the mercies of Christ? When death, like my uncle, comes knocking at your door, will you be found believing solely upon Christ? Willing to leave everything else behind to know him? Friends, today you can come to him. You must come to him today, only to him. You must rely only on his works. Your family, your pastor, your friends can't save you. A few of us eat breakfast down the road at sundown, and there's a waitress. I've, I've been going there for the last three years. I've been sharing the gospel off and on with this lady and inviting her to church. She always says to me this one statement that just sticks with me and it grades at me. She says, Jordan. You know, I'm extra nice to you because you're my ticket to heaven. And I always respond, I, I don't want that responsibility. I don't want that responsibility. The only way to heaven is through Jesus. Don't put your trust in me because I will fail you. Friends, if you're putting your trust in a pastor or other friends or your wife or your husband or your kids... I want you to know we can't pray fervently enough for you to escape hell. I can't offer up enough penance for myself, let alone you, to escape the wrath of God. But guess what? I know the way. I know the way. You know the way. We got to tell one another. We got to preach to one another. We have to proclaim the way, the truth, and the life every day to one another. Believe solely upon the person of Christ, the work of Christ, and you will be saved. All you have to do is simply come. Simply come to him. Tonight, we have yet another tangible reminder of God's call upon our life. We get to come to the Lord's table and remember his death. We get to remember the penalty he bore in our place. His body that was broken and his blood that was poured out. This meal in front of us is for the elect. It's for those who are believing. It is meant for those who are leaving sin behind and running to Christ. Coming to Christ. If you can't say that you are coming to Christ today, then don't take don't eat this meal. Acts 2 says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. If you have believed and have been baptized in a biblical church, you are welcome to this table. I would encourage you, those who are at the end of the rows, to move the rope that's in front of you or behind you so that our ushers can serve you. But let me pray and then our servants will come. Father, our great God and King, there's no escape from death or hell without coming to Christ. Father, please, please be merciful. Please be merciful tonight to those who are living in sin, living in rebellion, not running to Christ. Father, save their souls even now. Father, allow them, God, to one day take of the table joyfully. Father, I pray even now, Lord, that you would allow us to joyfully come to the table, to joyfully eat of the body and the bread. In Jesus' name, amen.